Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We had an exciting week. We actually went all the way to the Bronx. So we took a real field trip and we went to the Botanical Gardens to see the Kusama exhibition that I'm sure you've been seeing photos of everywhere. I know we both have and we were counting down the days till we could go. So definitely tune in to our Monday Chatter check-in to hear about our visit because we'll be covering that. Yes, we might have uh, made a mistake on that visit, but um, I don't know what I'm saying. It's a story for Monday. (laughs) Yeah, let's just save it for Monday. But I think we're ready to dive into our updates. Yes, our first update comes from the art newspaper where it was announced that, quote, a vast underwater museum. Greece plans to open shipwrecks and other submerged heritage sites for visitors to explore. So in March, which is when we originally talked about this headline, the Greek Ministry of Culture and Sports announced plans to open 91 shipwrecks dating from 1868 to 1970 for recreational diving, which was lifting prior restrictions in an effort to drive tourism post-COVID. Yeah, Uh, And compared to underwater museums created elsewhere in the world um, with contemporary sculptures, Greek sites are unique for their cultural merit. That is the fact that they are authentic ancient monuments. I've actually been places where you can go like snorkeling and scuba diving at a shipwreck, but it's like an artificial shipwreck. Yeah. It's not a historic one. Yeah, that's crazy. And they hope to shed light on ancient monuments near the shore that were submerged due to geological shifts and rising sea levels and are developing new underwater information panels and buoys on the sea surface to guide bathers around the prehistoric settlement. So it's almost like arrows in a museum that you can follow along. Yeah. What is so exciting about this update is that it was announced that a special glass bottom boat due in 2023 will be used for tours to the sunken late Roman villa of ancient Epidaurus and the visitor experience will be complemented by digital representations of the site. So what's so exciting is that this will enable anyone to go and see these monuments, yeah, not like you just don't have people. To scuba dive, yeah. Because like personally, I cannot scuba dive. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also have a second update, which is exciting. Yes, the second update comes from Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, German police have arrested the final suspect in the shocking $1 billion Dresden Green Vault heist. So police in Berlin have captured the fifth and final suspect connected to the shocking 2019 jewel heist at Dresden's Green Vault Museum. And authorities had been searching for the 22-year-old man since he had evaded capture in a sting operation last year. And he is a twin brother of a fellow suspect who was already in custody. And due to German privacy laws regarding ongoing criminal proceedings, the brothers have not been officially named by law enforcement officials. However, the Ramos are already widely known as one of the nation's most notorious crime families. And they are believed to also have stolen a $5 million commemorative gold coin from Berlin's Bode Museum in 2017, among other high-profile crimes. The Green Vault Museum of the Thieves stole three sets of Baroque jewelry. The media speculated that the stolen jewelry could be worth a as much as $1 billion, which would make it Europe's most costly museum heist. But the state considers the objects priceless due to their cultural value. Yeah. And honestly, I really encourage everyone to go take a look at the link that's on the podcast description because the jewelry is so, so beautiful. It's like a very chic headline, even though it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Also, we started watching a documentary on Netflix about like famous art heists. Yes. And I'm sure this one will 
probably be added to the series at some point it was like episodic and it was about exactly. different ones so we haven't made our way through the series yeah. yet so that's why we haven't talked about it but if you're looking for something to watch you should definitely go look for it great recommendation <laughs> so i think we're ready to start off this week we have some nft news as reported by art news quote in an effort to recoup losses, Uffizi sells Renaissance masterpieces as NFTs. So in an effort to recover from all the revenue lost during the pandemic, the Uffizi will be offering off some of their most famous masterpieces. So the Uffizi galleries will share the proceeds with Cinello, an Italian company that is offering a new alternative for purchasing digital copies of masterpieces as part of a recently announced partnership. And called DAWs, the virtual artworks are generated in the dimensions of the actual piece and claim to be impossible to du duplicate. Each DAR DAW is accompanied by an NFT token and a certificate of authenticity signed by the museum, which is super cool. Very cool. And to put the museum's losses into some context, annual visitors fell from 4.4 million to 1.2 million last year among, amid successive lockdowns. And on the first day that it reopened, the museum recorded 1,516 visitors, which pales in comparison to the five to 6,000 visitors per day, which was typical for the museum pre-pandemic. That makes sense, though, because I feel like with Europe, like being so close to um, tourism, a lot of people, like a lot of the tourism was local. And like, honestly, if you live like around there and you've seen the Uffizi Gallery a thousand times, like you might, like that might not be the first thing you're rushed to see. Although it is a great time to visit at the same time, because since there are no very few tourists, um, it, it's just like nice to have the galleries to yourself. I totally agree. And then I also think what's a little scary for the museum is because borders are still closed and it is still hard to travel. These numbers might remain low for yes. who, like who knows how long. Yeah, exactly. And also I was thinking about it and like the 1.2 million from last year might have been like from before the pandemic began, like right. because it was closed for so long. So like that's crazy to think that even in just three months, like there were like at least a million visitors. That's so crazy. Yeah. And it makes sense because it's like a third of the of year, the basically. Year. Yeah. But the first encrypted work available will be Michelangelo's painting, Doni Tondo, which dates to 1505. And it sold for $170,000 and it was purchased by an Italian woman as a birthday gift for her husband, who is a prominent art collector. And Anna's birthday is coming up. So if anyone wants a gift are idea. You getting, are you yes. getting me one? Is that what you're I saying? I ruined the surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be cool. It's Except I hate NFTs. <laughs> and among the works that are expected to follow this sale in the coming weeks are Caravaggio's Bacchus, Botticelli's The Birth of Venus, Titian's Venus of Urbino, and Raphael's Madonna del Granducha. So it's very like major, major works. Yeah. And the director of the Uffizi was quoted in the article and said, quote, it's not a change of direction in terms of revenue. It is an additional revenue. But creating such a market is not a quick thing. What I found so interesting about this headline in general is that so much of the criticism around NFTs has been behind the artist. If we're, you might remember when we talked about people's work that sold at Christie's and then we there was an mm -hmm. article zooming in on the work and being very critical. Yeah, about, I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible, <laughs> but no one has anything terrible to, to say, say about, about Botticelli's these. Birth of Venus. No, but also... This is interesting to me because the whole point about NFTs was like giving artists like 
their like you know authority and like back and stuff like that and just like giving the power to artists and making sure artists are making money and like I totally understand the premise behind this which is like allowing for the Uffizi to have like another stream of revenue but like then this like defeats the purpose of NFTs which was like to give more um control over their art to artists because like Botticelli has been dead for 500 years you right. know so it's like a very interesting like I think it just puts into perspective how iffy NFTs are. But all jokes aside, this week, the market for NFTs actually dropped even like more, more than it had in the past couple of weeks. So I think it's like dwindling down. And like there were so many memes in one of our favorite meme accounts, um, Jerry Gagosian being like Upper East Side galleries who haven't, um, who didn't buy into NFT market and like just like celebrating and things like that. So I think it's just like very obvious that like everyone knew this was like a bubble I mean, obviously not everyone because like some people did buy them. I don't know. Like, will the Ufeeds even be able to make a profit if like prices are dropping so much? Or if they are rolling these out one by one, like will the ones they roll out two months from now be worth significantly less <laughs> than the first so one? I don't know. It also, another thing that honestly shocked me a little bit was the fact that the first one was bought by an Italian collector because I feel like, I don't know, Italians in general like are very like no BS people. Mm -hmm. So it's just like kind of funny to me, but. Yeah, it's like out of, the, it's not the typical NFT, NFT buyer, buyer that you've been seeing in other contexts. Exactly. Very interesting headline. Headline number two comes to us from Artnet which reported that, quote, after 21 years and $194 million, Pinal opens Bourse Museum in Paris. So 21 years after Francois Pinal first announced he would build a museum in Paris to house his 10,000 work collection, the 84-year-old French billionaire has finally achieved his goal. There have been many obstacles, as in 2000, the caring founder chose a deserted island on the Seine. Um, west of Paris, but the suburban city council killed the project. And more recently, the opening of the new site in the heart of the capital was delayed because of COVID. Like everything else. Yes. But finally this week, at a total cost of $194 million, the Pinal Collection will open its doors at the Bourse de Commerce, which was formerly Paris's commodity stock exchange. And built in the 18th century with a striking circular shape inspired by Roman monuments in architectural style, style uncommon in France, it will almost be as large as the Pantheon in Rome. And a really interesting fact about the renovation was that it took five years and its glass canopy was replaced by double glazed glass to allow for greater temperature regulation within this space and to protect the works of art that are inside. Yes, that, yeah. That Our is apartment very... could use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need that. We're like dying in the summer. This happened last year, I feel like. We have floor to ceiling windows, which we're so grateful for and we love so much, but our yeah. living room gets so hot. Yeah, and then like it also gets really cold in the winter, so there's really no winning, but we're still so grateful for it. <laughs> in the center of the space, though, is Urs Fischer's wax copy of the 16th century Florentine sculpture, Giambologna, Rape of the Sabine Woman. And each morning, holes are drilled and wicks are inserted to be lit, causing the progressive meltdown of a work that will disappear over the next six months. I actually saw one of these at the Brandt Foundation. Oh, yes. Yes, with the Guggenheim, yes, right? Yes, I went with uh -huh. the Guggenheim and someone asked like the group I was standing with if you would actually choose to burn it if you own the work. And it was a really interesting conversation because when you purchase it, you're allowed, I think, three of them. So you can burn yeah. it and then get a new wax sculpture. But then once the three are gone, it's There's gone. No so it's like, would you burn it? 
I think I would burn the first two and just keep the third. Keep the third. Or maybe I... Yeah, because the point of it is to burn it, right? But it's so tragic because then it's gone. You also pay so much money. I wouldn't just want to like burn all three. Yeah, and it takes a while to burn. Yeah, I also think it's so interesting. Um, there are so many like Italian aspects to this new place in France, right? But anyways, due to COVID-19 restrictions, visits can be made through reservations only. And a maximum of 600 people are allowed, in the, are allowed in the building at once, one third of its normal capacity. And there will be directional traffic lines and um, the building is designed for people to roam at will. But obviously that can't yeah. really happen right now. Exactly. And overall, there are 10 exhibition spaces, including seven white-walled galleries. There are plans to set up around 15 new projects each year. But the first round of changes will have to wait till next year, I think partially because they want people to see the first group. And limited capacity means that it's going to have to stay up for longer. No, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I would love to visit when we're in Paris next. It sounds amazing. And hopefully we can make it there before the Fisher um, thing melts. Before it melts. Yeah. Our third headline comes to us from the National Portrait Gallery, which reported that, quote, the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery presents the Obama Portraits Tour. From the moment of their unveiling at the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery, the museum's official portraits of President Barack Obama and Mrs. Michelle Obama have become iconic. So Candy Wiley's portrait of President Obama and Emmy Charlotte's portrait of the former first lady have inspired unprecedented responses from the public. And like I witnessed it firsthand at the National Portrait Gallery. It was like insane. Everyone just like did not care about anything else that was in the gallery and they just wanted to see the Obama portraits. And the Obama Portraits Tour, which is organized by the museum, will travel to five cities around the U.S. from June 2021 through May 2022 and is expected to reach millions of people who might not otherwise have an opportunity to view these remarkable paintings. Yeah, and in addition to the artworks themselves, the Obama Portraits Tour will feature audiovisual elements, educational workshops, and different curatorial presentations. And a richly illustrated book entitled The Obama Portraits 2020, co-published by the National Portrait Gallery and the Princeton University Press, um, will also be available. This special presentation will exchange the conversation surrounding the power of portraiture and its potential to engage communities. Yeah, and the locations are the Art Institute of Chicago, the Brooklyn Museum, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, so LACMA, the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, and the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. So it's really making its way around the U.S. Yeah, it's so great. West Coast, East Coast, yeah. Middle America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like they're so like these portraits are so different from anything else that had mm-hmm. been done before and like so lively that that's why people like want to see them. And also, I mean, they're just like so beautiful. Yeah. And we still have to go see Wiley's portraits at Barnard and his work at Penn Station. Yeah, so hopefully now that things are almost back to normal here in New York, we can like go visit Barnard and like really take a look at Penn Station. Honestly, maybe we should have gone to Penn Station before everything went back to normal because now it might be too crowded, but... And it's It's okay. We'll still venture out. (laughs) People are like obviously commuting to work now more than ever. We were walking this morning to get our coffee and everyone was in a suit around us. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. The fourth headline of the day comes to us from France 24, where it was reported that, quote, Notre Dame Square closed over lead pollution risk. The square in front of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris has been closed to the public after tests again revealed high concentrations of toxic lead particles, the Paris Police Department said Tuesday. 
Yeah, and the fire that ravaged the 13th century monument two years ago melted some 300 tons of lead paneling in the roof, spewing the metal across large parts of the city. Exposure risk prompted authorities to forbid access to several areas and even some schools during extensive cleanup operations with blood tests urged for children and pregnant women. Yeah, and the square was reopened a few weeks after the fire and officials promised regular testing of the site. But results from the most recent tests show that lead dust concentrations were higher than the normal levels for Paris at certain points in the square. And police said that the square will reopen after a new cleaning operation and, quote, all readings are back to sufficiently low levels. Yes. And while the spire collapsed and much of the roof was destroyed on the evening of April 15, 2019, the efforts of firefighters ensured the great medieval building survived the blaze. But the lead risk delayed work on clearing debris and launching the restoration effort for the Gothic landmark, which President Emmanuel Macron wants open for visitors in time for Paris's hosting of the 2024 Summer Olympics. Yeah, and investigators have yet to determine the cause of the blaze, as we know, but they have said an accident was possibly caused by a short circuit or um, a discarded cigarette butt, but the explanation will probably just never be very clear. Isn't it so crazy that it happened already, was it two years ago now? And then they're hoping it will be ready in 2024, which is still so far away. I went like a month after it happened and it was like so sad. Like it was so close. The Mm -hmm. square had not even reopened. And I honestly find it, I was, while I was reading this article, I was just like so perplexed. Like how do they clean the lead? I have no idea. Like how does that happen? That's a great Um, point. And I try to look into it, but there are no like explanations. So I guess I will have to like keep an eye out for an explanation sometime soon. If anyone knows how to clean up lead, let us know. Yeah. Also it's in the air. So like, do they like, I don't know. Do you just have to wait it out? I don't know. <laughs> and also, like, does it really just stay in the square? Like, is it not floating around? The fact that they encourage everyone to get blood tests is so scary. Yes. Anyways, we can move on from the sad story now. Oh, actually, a fun thing about this story was that even though this is still closed and, like, just very sad, the Giverny Gardens... Like Monet's Gardens mm-hmm. reopened this week after six months of being closed. Oh. I read in a different article. So like that's really exciting. That's so exciting. They're so beautiful. Yeah, they are very beautiful. The last headline of the day comes to us from Hyperallergic, where it was reported that, quote, this gallery wants you to touch the art. Curated by the artist and author Edmund DeWald, the exhibition This Living Hand will open on May 19th after more than a year of delays due to the United Kingdom's recurrent COVID-19 lockdowns. So at the exhibition at the Henry Moore Studios and Gardens in the suburbs of London, visitors will be allowed and even encouraged to feel the displays with their bare hands. The exhibition will explore the role of touch and the iconography of the hand in the works of art of Henry Moore, a famed British sculptor who emphatically believed in the importance of tactical experience and enjoying works of art, particularly sculptures. And the exhibition will feature a selection of sculptures by Moore, which visitors will as we said, be invited to touch with our hands and a group of drawings and sculptural works charting Moore's interest in hands as a subject matter. So we love those sketches. We love the sketches. sketches. 
And as COVID-19 safety remains a concern, DeWall has created a stone wash basin for visitors to cleanse their hands before entering the gallery. This actually reminds me of when we went to the Nora Rossler gallery mm, and they had yes. the giant thing of Purell. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, because they had um, pencils for you to like write on like sticky notes and put in like these sculptures. But honestly, it's kind of crazy that they were building like a whole thing. But then I was also thinking no matter what, like COVID or not COVID, it's disgusting to be touching something that a lot of people are touching. So true. Because like not everyone's hands are clean. So like would they just not have had this like wash basin had it not been for COVID? Like that's so gross. No, had it not been for COVID, they wouldn't have had one and there would have been like kids and like people touching everything everywhere and then you would have gotten a cold a week later yes and this year for those who don't know um cold cases like the regular flu cases have like been so low because everyone has been masked and washing their hands so much so I think like honestly like yeah I hate the mask but like it does help it does help and I made such a big deal to get my flu shot in time and I probably didn't even need it because like (laughs) who am I seeing (laughs) Yeah, you were like, we have to go get it. <laughs> it's important to get your flu shot. It is very important. But no, maybe not this year. Yeah. Yeah. But um, carved into a rock, the stone for two hands in water takes us its form a Japanese sukubai. I don't know if I said that right. I'm sorry. But uh, it is a traditionally located at the entrance of a holy site for visitors to purify themselves by the ritual of washing hands and mouth. The exhibition will also include a series of sculptural benches carved in Orden stone made by DeWall for visitors to pause and reflect on what should definitely be a touching experience. And DeWall said in a press release for the exhibition, quote, in the past year, our hands and our experience of touch have taken a whole new meaning. To be able to invite people to encounter more sculptures through touch is now even more extraordinary. And I do agree with that. I do agree with that. And I think it's Anytime you encourage someone to touch a work of art, I do feel like there's this greater level of interaction, not only physical, exactly, but you really do look at the piece more closely when you're able to physically engage with it. I agree. And I also think what you were saying about Solo 94 and like one of her Monday chatter check-ins recently, people like are very eager to like touch art and like engage with art Mm -hmm. in a way that's like not the traditional sense so I think this will be very successful yeah and how often do you look at a work of art at a museum or wherever and you're like oh I wish I could touch it like it looks so interesting and like you know you can so this Mm -hmm. is so exciting it is but that's it for our Thursday top five Mm -hmm. and before we go our emerging news this week is brought to us from Artnet where it was revealed that quote Ending months of eager anticipation, Freeze confirms its new Seoul Art Fair, scheduled for September 2022. So confirming reports from last November, Freeze will open a new fair in Seoul in 2022. So the first first outgoing in Asia, Freeze Seoul, will open on September 2nd, 2022 at the city's main events venue, COEX. C-O-E-X, and will be organized in partnership with South Korea's chief art trade group, the Galleries Association of Korea. And the primary focus for the first edition will be contemporary art, but the event will also include a freeze master section where dealers can present works made between antiquity and the year 2000. And the show will run alongside South Korea's biggest art fair, Kiev Art Seoul, which has taken place in the Gangnam district for the past 20 years. To complement the event, Free Seoul will bring around 100 international dealers, including many from Asia, to the Korean capital for the show. I think this is so exciting. And then I also think it will be cool to see if this has any impact on Freeze's other outposts. 
Yes, I agree. And I think um, after like you had such a positive experience at Freeze New York, I think, I mean, not just you, but like, I think just me, just you. I think everyone who went this year was super excited about the fair and it is a fair that is like very well regarded and very loved. So I think having it in Asia will be super exciting. And it recently started occurring also in LA. And I think that's been so successful that I have high hopes. Yes. Have you been in LA? No, no, I haven't been. Mm. We'll have to go sometime. We'll have to make a trip. Um, anyways, that's it for Thursday Top 5. As Paige said, we're super excited to talk about our visit to the Botanical Gardens in the Bronx. And yeah. Yeah. Thank Stay you. Tuned. Bye.